Hello and welcome back to QC Uncut, uncut, unedited, uncensored conversation with local newsmakers. I am your host, Sean Leary, and today my guest is Andrew King. Andrew um, was a longtime fixture on the local comedy scene. He was responsible for a lot of very original and interesting um, programming as well as material as a local comedian. Uh, He's always one of my favorite local comedians. I always thought that he had some really interesting things to present to the creative scene, and I'm sorry to see him go, unfortunately, uh, for the Quad Cities. Fortunately for him, he has moved on. He is now in Providence, Rhode Island, and I wish him a lot of success, and I'm happy to finally have him on the show. We've been talking about getting on the podcast for a while here, Andrew, and now you finally move and I get you on the podcast. Who gave you this number? <laughs> it was your goddamn brother. <laughs> well, thank you for having me, Sean. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Now, you one of the first times we talked was for your old talk show, which was Roz Talk. Um, and that was, again, you had Roz Talk and you had the After Hour, um, which were two live talk shows that were, you know, presented one at Roz Talks, the other one at the Speakeasy. And uh, for those of you who did not see them, the first one, Roz Talk, it was Andrew up on stage with someone else, and we'd be talking and having a conversation. And again, as Andrew and I had talked about, other people had done that before. I had done that before. Uh, Kai Swanson had done that before. We'd had lot. We'd had live um, conversations with folks. But with the after hour, you took it to a different level. You really kind of. Um, you, you you went all out and did a live talk show where you had a guest, you had people doing monologues, you had performers. It was just like you know, say the Johnny the Tonight Show with Jack Parr, Johnny Carson, any of those old time shows where they actually had it live. Um, tell us a little bit about your thought process in creating both of those things. Yeah, so it was a definite pivot from like a Dick Cavett style to like a more Johnny Carson, as you as you said there. Um, I, I think I, I guess the only reason uh, the thought process behind it was watching old clips and just being like, man, I really want to do that. So I guess I should figure out how to do that. Now, is that something that you're thinking? Oh, sorry. Oh no. Uh, well, and so when I had a general like idea consists of like a variety show a talk show even though they're dying off is pretty much a variety show so then i talked to brett hitchcock and pitched it to him and like yeah let's do it and boom there it was so is that something that you're thinking of adopting in your new home yeah what i'm planning to do once things uh get better I basically want to do everything I did back home and do it out here and see if I can get any uh, better traction with it. Well, as I I was mentioning to you before, I think that um, in a bigger market, and especially one that you may be a college market or something like that, I think a lot more people are going to get your references and um, there's going to be a more receptive audience for it just because just through dint of population size i mean when you go to a bigger market there's just a lot more potential for people if you've got 
a couple million people around, there's a lot more people that are going to get what you're doing and are going to click with it. Um, and I always really hoping for. Yeah, finger, fingers crossed. That's the whole idea, isn't it? Yeah. Now, um, and uh, I think I think it will pan out. Uh, let's talk a little bit about how you got started. Uh, when you know, did you first? Because you have really, in, again, you have really interesting reference points. Um, given the fact that I mean, you're a big fan of Larry Sanders, Mash shows like that that you don't normally think of. Um, somebody who I'm guessing how old, you're in your what late twenties? Yeah, another turn thirty here in August. Okay. Um, and those aren't typically reference points for people who are in their you know who are about to turn thirty. Um, what are what is it about those? particular shows or those particular influences um that really struck a chord with you and what are some of your influences that you feel really come out in your work or that people that kind of set you on the road to doing this all right sorry to talk about this one was uh yelling for me uh well as far as uh man you know that's, a, that's such a good question <laughs> Which is good because you're you're hosting an interview show, so it's good that you have good questions. <laughs> it's always a plus. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I just um I I gained a reverence just for the art form of comedy. Like when I started, I just like you know I, I feel like a lot of people when they start they do a deep dive and uh, finding all they can and stand up comedy and well just comedy as we know it, it was. A recent creation, really, you know. I mean, it really only developed in the 60s, and before that, it was like, uh, you know, shaky cat skills kind of stuff. So, the, the benefit of it being so recent is that it's, is that there's not uh, a whole lot to dig through. I mean, there is, but, but there isn't as compared to like, you know, painting or something, you know. I mean, it's, or, or music that goes back, you know, hundreds of years and more than that so i just had the benefit of having the time to dig through and find the thing that spoke to me the most as far as like why things like larry sanders and gary shandling speak the most to me is i i, I don't know just something kind of clicked there and uh and you can find countless interviews where he talks about the show and how it's uh about um, it's about love, but show business gets in the way. So it, it's, it's like the Larry Sanders show is just a great, ah, man, it's just, it's just so good when you can, when you can fully appreciate all the subtle jokes just from, cause I mean, even when you're in like in a smaller comedy circuit, you, you, you learn certain social tropes and cliches and it, it's and it goes from the bottom to the top like you know it, it's stuff that it's kind of universal as long as you're kind of aware of it and and so it's it's a show that anybody can appreciate but if you have any experience at all in theater or performing then you get to catch all the extra little shit that they throw that they threw in there and it just makes it um there's so many more enjoyable morsels to it you know I, I was always sad that that ended because I always wanted to play the Artie character on that show. Right. <laughs> I remember coming to you and saying that when I, I'm like, I know exactly what you're doing. You're, 
you're basically kind of aping the Larry Sanders thing. I'm like, if you ever need an Artie, let me know because I'd love to play that character. That'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, you know, if the show, if we hadn't gone any longer with it, we could have done that. But I mean, it was, uh, I, I did the after hour for a year and like, you know, we, like, I mean, I know back home we have like a limited audience. I mean, the Quad Cities has around 400,000 people and out of that, you might have a population of 1,000 to 2,000 people that, act, that actively go to shows, and then you whittle that down even further to people that go to comedy shows. And well, when you put all that in there, I mean, I, I was very grateful for the following that I was able to gather. Well, I always thought it was an interesting show. I mean, I was, you know, again... Um, something that was unique to this area, and I know that you mentioned, well, I wasn't really doing anything different than somebody else had done before me, but nevertheless, it was something that no one in this area had really done, and so it's always, you know, cool to see stuff that brings a different spin to the scene. Sure. Now, tell me, tell me, tell me a little bit about what were you like as a kid? What what first got you into, you know, into comedy? Um, what were you like when you were growing up? Um, and, uh, you know, what were, you know, what was your first experience? I know a lot of us have memories of, I mean, I know my first experience with comedy or with performing in a lot of ways was George Carlin was my friend's older brother. <coughs> and this is when I was probably about eight years old. My friend's older brother um, playing his George Carlin records for me and my friend, which he probably shouldn't have been doing given the, the given the language, but nevertheless did. And it just was like the sky opened up and a light came down just listening to these records because they were just so, you know, amazing. Um, what was that moment for you? And what were you, again, what were you like as a kid growing up? How did you get kind of get into the performing art side of things? Sure. Well, I mean, I was a really uh, quiet kid growing up, and I was uh, very antisocial. And I think, well, I mean, we all, I think, still kind of are to a certain extent. But, you know, as far as, like, the earliest comedy that I was exposed to, I mean, I remember watching Conan O'Brien do his monologues. Uh, I remember watching a lot of In Living Color. I loved In Living Color. Remember the first stand-up special that I can like really remember was seeing Dennis Leary's No Cure for Cancer. Was mm-hmm. that it? Was yeah. It? yeah, Dennis yeah. Leary's No Cure for Cancer that was on it. That was on Comedy, Spe- Comedy uh, Central, and it was that was the first uh, V like you know comedy thing that I bought. Like like I like actually went to the store and bought because I wanted to watch it over and over again. Was uh, that special? But I mean, I was—I I kept to myself. Um, like, I—I was—I was not. I had a hard time speaking in front of people. Um, yeah, I—I I, I did not. I didn't. I—I I don't know how it happened. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, Dennis Leary's my second cousin, right? What? Dennis Leary's my second cousin. Yeah. That, yeah. No shit. Um, That's insane. Uh, what, when did you first get up on stage and perform? What was that like for you? What do you remember from that? The first time performing is that what you said? 
Yeah, yeah. First time, first time performing. What was that like for you? And and what, you know, what was it like prior to getting up on stage? What drove you to the point where you're like, okay, I'm going to overcome all this shyness and social awkwardness and and get up there and do this. I mean, what forced you? What was that inside that was like, I got to say this, no matter what, I got to break through this to be able to say this on stage. Yeah. Um. I kind of had, I kind of got lucky in the sense that I, I mean, one another show, another show that I watched a lot of was was uh, Whose Lines Anyway. I think like you know that was a very popular show. You remember that show, right? Yeah, sure. Everybody does. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, uh, and there was I was working at Village Inn as a dishwasher as a, I was nineteen. And a buddy of mine was attending at Ambrose, St. Ambrose University, and he was a part of a improv group, or at least he would do stuff with this uh, improv group over there. And he invited me over there, and I, I thought it sounded like fun, so I did that, and I kept going to practices with them. They eventually asked me to do a show with them. And so that was like, so I my first, stage experience thankfully was improv so I wasn't alone and so that kind of helped me out and then after that not too long after that there was a open mic on campus which is where I try to do stand up and I, I, I didn't do terribly like I mean it wasn't good but I mean it wasn't I, I did get some laughs and then I found out about the local comedy club downtown penguins in the old freight house I took the same set there, and it also didn't go terribly. Like, I got, you know, some laughs, and it was like a light hit me. And I was like, okay, you know what, this is, I think this is it. So, describe your comedy to people. Who are some of your biggest influences in terms of comedy? And what was that first stand-up set like? What what were some of the jokes in that? Sure. Uh, I remember I was listening to a lot of Pat Oswalt. Like the, and Zach Galifianakis, I really loved the uh, the group, the comedians, the comedies, which was Zach and uh, Maria Bamford and Patton and Brian Pussain. Uh As far as, man, what jokes did I tell? I think I had a lot of suicide bits. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I think I think I had some suicide bits. I think I had the obligatory Holocaust joke that every new edgy comic is supposed to have. Uh-huh. I. I So, so I guess my next question is, how long will it be until you get canceled <laughs> for something you once said? How long until when? How long until you get? How long until you get canceled for something you've said in the past? I'm sorry, brother. I cut a, I, I'm having such a bad connection. How how long until you get canceled for something you said in the past? How do you feel about that? How do you feel about the whole, you know, cancel culture for comedians thing, um, or the 
a lot of comedians have come out and said that political correctness has gone too far and that comedians especially um given the nature of their their material that it's satirical and it's humorous and that it often uses extremes to point out um the absurdities of society um that it's you know people should recognize that there's a context to it how do you feel about that and people you know not seeing that context and moving forward and trying to lambaste people and say that they're awful when in actuality they were trying to point out how awful certain things are through their comedy sure uh i mean definitely it's like um I wonder if we'll, if we'll ever have a society that can really appreciate context, because it certainly doesn't seem that way. I mean, because I mean, it can you know, extrapolate that to like news and anything else. People will take whatever they want to take from what you want, well, from whatever it is you say, and you kind of just have to deal with it. You know, uh, I, I definitely it definitely seems like nowadays most people feel that yeah, you get to say whatever you want, just that people get to equally react to it, which is fair. I mean, you can't, I mean, how can you argue with with that? Uh, but I, I, I feel like Canadians should get a little bit of leeway. I mean, Jesus. <laughs> it's like the whole point. Right. So, were you ever a big fan of Lenny Bruce? Yeah, I mean, I, I like him for, you know, what he did for stand-up. I mean, I, I have his records, and I, I I probably haven't laughed at a single joke of his just because, you know, just outdated it all is. Yeah. Um, but I still, you know, you, you got you to gotta love him as, as a patron saint of sorts. That's that's somebody who came to mind in bringing that up is you listen to some of Lenny Bruce's routines, and they're very of their time and um you don't recognize that you have to recognize the context of when they when he he did those routines is that they were very cutting edge and they were very different and daring um and he really laid the groundwork for a lot of comedians to come and now you look at it and it seems quaint and like you said it's not as funny as it was and a lot of it can be seen as offensive but at the time it was very, you know, it opened up a lot of doors, and I think for sure his his he, he led the way. He made it so you can just go up there and say whatever you want instead of five guys going up and uh, being like, "Hey, can I do that bit?" or "And you can do that bit," kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, and the way that he used um, offensive material to point out hypocrisies and to point out the negative things in society, so that people would examine them, was very incisive. For sure. And, and again, that was also misinterpreted by a lot of people as being offensive or, um, <clears throat> at the time, just for some of the things he was saying a lot. Of, I mean, it was um, the more conservative side of things really sort of took umbrage to what he was doing at the time. And he was trying to point out the hypocrisy of a lot of people around the, the world at that point in society in that time. Yeah, it, it's great. I mean, the, I, I guess I'm, I could think of one bit that always sticks out in my mind of his is when he was commenting on the Kennedy assassination and how Jackie, Ona- how, how, the, how the news portrayed Jackie Onassis as never once did she 
So what, um, who are some of your favorite current comedians and who are some of your favorite comedians of all time? And how do you see their influences in your work? Or don't you? Are there some comedians that you love, but they don't really reflect in what you're doing? Sure. Um, let's see. I'm just looking at my uh, bookcase here. I've, been, I've collected a lot of comedy stuff over the years. And the uh, hopes of having like an archive one day. Um, I'd like to think that I'm not too influenced by anybody, and I haven't done stand up in uh, in many months. Even before COVID happened, I was just burnt out on performing in front of the same people over and over again. And. Uh, and, like, so, and so you're. Like I, love, I, love, so, I love Gary Shandling, you know, and uh, his his stand up is very middle of the road in my in my opinion. So I, I I wouldn't say he was like he influences me in a more spiritual sense because he was a very he became a very zen individual. Um, the old talk show host like Jack Parr. Uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I really love lately there's these guys out of the UK that I really love um, there's this guy named Tony Law and I was actually supposed to bring him to Boston I live in Providence but I, I, the plan was to be doing stuff in Boston and I wanted to start producing shows and like recording stuff and like putting out with, like trying to start like a little indie comedy label you know uh-huh. <clears throat> and so I was Tony Law was supposed to come out this uh, September, but there's just no way it's going to happen with everything that's going on. So we're, we're in talks to bring him over in 2021 as long as things are better. Uh, Stuart Lee's another British guy that I love, and I, I guess I would say that he's actually influenced me a bit because I, he, he really takes his time on stage and he's comfortable with silence. And since I hosted an open mic for several years, I'm also very comfortable with silence. <laughs> it's like, it's like it's silence and silence and I, we're you know we're bosom buddies. <laughs> and uh, there's there's a certain strength in being able to sit comfortably in silence when people are staring at you. Uh huh. So so how long did it take you? To think of those names when you were staring at your shelf full of Gallagher videos. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> how long did it take? How long did it take for you to think of those names when you were standing there looking at your shelf full of Gallagher videos? <laughs> yeah, I have one of his mallets here. I got, I got, I got it, I got it in, a, in a shadow box. <laughs> and a preserved piece of watermelon. <laughs> Gallagher 
I was really disappointed that that you never did that when you're in the Quad Cities. I know that you you know you were trying to find the right venue where you could smash watermelons and and, and we but you're gonna do you're gonna do cantaloupes, weren't you? Just to uh, for a little bit of a spin on it. Who told you about my secret plans? <laughs> I was I was literally one. There, there was a stretch there where at the speakeasy open, at the monthly speakeasy mic that that was going on the, for a few months in a row. I did each set as a different wacky character just because I was just so bored uh-huh. with writing jokes as myself. And I I was literally planning to do a Gallagher ripoff, but the twist was going to be. Every time I was about to like hit it, hit the hit the melon, I was gonna get off. I was going to get distracted and go on a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I never really smash it. But I was like, okay, here we go. Oh, but that got me thinking. So anyway, the other day, it's all build up, right? And like give people like a tarp in the front row, uh-huh. <laughs> but never follow through with it. I'm sure. I'm sure the speakeasy would have loved that. I'm sure uh, Brett Hitchcock would have enjoyed picking up pieces of cantaloupe at the end of the night. Right. <laughs> so, so what are you what are, what are you most proud of in your career? What are, what are the things that you look at and you're like, oh, that doesn't suck. I mean, or you're like, you know, oh, that I that was really good. I was really happy with the way that turned out, and, and I'd like to do something like that again, or, or or you know, expand on that, or or just leave it alone and just say, hey, I did it right the first time. I was happy with it. We're done. Or closing the door on that. Yeah, um, that's good. That's a good question. Uh... I look fondly, I think, on every project. Like, I, re- I really love the one-on-one Dick Cavett style series, and I'm definitely going to be doing that again here just as a way to kind of network with people right. and kind of get my foot in the door around here. Smart move. Um, hmm? I said that's a smart move. I thought about that. I was like, that would be the perfect thing to kind of get to know people and local comedians and entertainers in that area. And I'm, I'm, still, I'm still really... I, mean, I, I I love the after hour. That was so much fun. We had so much fun with that show. With, with like you know coming up with desk segments that were like audience interactive and uh, like I every once in a while I think of that very first one where like we I, mean, I can't remember if we sold out or if we got really close to it. I, I feel like we had a hundred people there. Uh-huh. And, uh And it ran a little long because it was the first time and like that but you know that was I, I love the after hour a lot and I'd like to do that again if I could find some way to do it that's not cause I it's I feel like people flat out don't like talk shows anymore mm-hmm. at, least, at least the old at least like you know the tra- traditional way of doing it so I gotta think of I gotta think of a variation on it uh the Jeopardy ripoff that I was doing, that's also fun. I mean, it's basically just a little trivia thing, but it, it's a game that's out to get the contestants by through trickery and, and such. So, uh, well, one thing I'm, I feel like I'm definitely done doing is improv. Like, I don't, I don't really want to do improv, like group improv ever again. Uh-huh. Um, Why is that? 
just, I, I, you know, I guess it would depend. I, I guess I, I guess I should clarify and say that I would never do short form improv again, um, unless it's an opportunity that arises out here that I can't pass up as a, you know, just a way to continue to get some kind of momentum going. But I, I just have no interest in short form gamey booze line improv anymore. It's just. You know, I did it with the blacklist for those couple of years, and it was just the same shit over and over again. You know, just give me a suggestion. Cock and balls, great. That's all. That's the three hundredth time that we've got cock and balls for a suggestion. Well, it's it's interesting to me because it, it, this harkens back to something that you just said, and. Having seen you do stand up and actually having, you know, had you as a guest on, you know, some of my shows, Rock City Live, um, one of the things I liked about your humor is the fact that you do use silence a lot. You use language in a much different way than a lot of comedians, and you utilize silence and beats and pauses. And with improv, Everything's it's very boom 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 boom. There's not a lot of room for silence. There's not a lot of room for a beat and you've got other people that are kind of they're all grabbing for the laugh. And so they're constant there there's no everyone's grabbing for the laugh and they're walking all over each other. And that's great if you've got a couple of Robin Williams style comedians that are just rapid fire. But for someone like yourself who's much more subtle and who likes to take those beats it's murder. I mean, you can't do that with with improv, short form improv. Right. Uh, short form improv is very needy. Yeah. Well, it, the minute you take a silence, the minute you take a beat, somebody's going to jump in and grab that, and they're going to you know go tropping off in a different direction, and before you know it, you're gone. You're not going to be able to to jump in again. Yeah, for sure. That I never thought about it that that way. I guess it, it does make sense just from a uh, uh, yeah, it makes sense. Is why I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't suit your style. Um, yeah. So going going back to our original question, which was, you know, what what do you what are you proud of? I mean, what are you proud of, and and um, and why? What are those? Th- what are the things that stand out about you that you really um, are happy about? Um. I think just I'm, I'm proud of every format that I've been able to get off the ground. I can't think of anything that I uh, anything I regret or anything like that. Um, it's uh, I'm really happy with, with almost everything. I, I, I can't I can't really think of anything that. That, that, that I'm not because I feel like everything has been either a wonderful learning experience or moderate success which in the Midwest is a great success <laughs> <laughs> uh, slightly joking there but uh, I, I can't uh, I'm trying to think of if there's you know, I, I really loved, um, I miss I miss Tristan's theater so much because he gave me such a great opportunity when he was doing those, when he was doing the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Uh, that, that was some of the first times where 
or he cause he would invite me to do stand up before the show, and like those were the best crowds ever. Like when I would do stand up for those people, I like uh, especially when I in the first few years where I started, it, it made me feel like a real comedian just from how heavy I was hitting. I was like, holy shit, I can actually do this. Uh, so I'm really proud of that, I suppose. Well, that, Tristan. And that's interesting you mentioned that because that's, you know, kind of what we talked about earlier is a lot of times it's it's the audience. I mean, it's, um, you, you know, you need to hit the right audience. You need to hit the right group of people that are going because humor is so incredibly subject, subjective. And, you know, there's going to be an audience out there that's going to be like, you know, nothing but. Hey, we want Gallagher. We want Gallagher. And then there's going to be an audience that's going to be, you know, looking for more of the stuff that you're doing. And um, you could stand in front of one audience and think, oh, I'm terrible. I'm completely flopping. But it's just that you're not connecting with that particular audience. The material might be great, but you need to find the right audience to, to help that click. Right. It's like, who knew that the upstairs of Boozies would, would not be the most nurturing ground for stand-up comedy and original ideas. <laughs> who would have thought that the upstairs of a dive bar that constantly smelled of burnt cheeseburgers and old grease was not where profound ideas were meant to be bred, Sean? But, uh, I, I, I am proud of the Biter Bomb, though, because we got to hassle... Oh, they hassled me more than I feel like I hassled them. The the local Biterbeck Historical Society that was funny. Yeah, that was funny. Um, and I was I was really happy to provide a a stand up space that was like the really first weekly one in our area. Man, it was so good the first uh, couple years doing that. Oh, because everybody everybody had to go there. It was the only game in town. Right. And so you had all the comics. And it was, it was, it felt so good. And it's one of those things where it's like you don't realize that, yeah, like when you're in it, you think it can only get better, and you you can't possibly consider that it could get worse. (laughs) (laughs) And then it does. And then like you know, because like art scenes, they ebb and flow, you know. Yeah, they do. Yeah, it's 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 a weird time right now. I was. talking to somebody the other day i was talking to tristan the other day actually about this and we were talking about downtown davenport and how you know two years ago two years ago summer downtown davenport was this hipster paradise and everybody was saying davenport's the new austin and blah 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 and now it's just dead because i mean between the flood and coronavirus it's just it it's killed it yeah man it's how many hashtags does it take to save a... <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, for you, that's for you to discover. So why, why Providence? Why did you move out to that particular area? What um, gave you, um, you know, the, the inspiration to do so and, and the hope that, like, this is going to click for me? This is where, you know, the best place is for me to go. Yeah, I know Scott. Um, Geneseo, of all places, and he actually was the 
sound guy for County Sports way back in the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, we uh, connected through me doing the blank list. I think, I think George introduced me to him and we started chatting on there online and so fast forward several years later where he's always been this entire time Scott Scott Hart's been harassing me to come out east and calling it the land of milk and honey and I finally get the opportunity to come visit because I do have two aunts that live here in Providence which is who I'm staying with uh, and so I finally got to visit this past October and it just felt so right uh-huh. <laughs> It's like, uh, even more so when I briefly lived in Chicago, it felt like, I mean, just, it's, it's that thing where, like, back home, I would be walking with somebody, and they would tell me to slow down because I'm walking too fast, but out, but out, like, in a city, you're, I'm going the right, you know, sidewalk speed. Right. It, it just, it, it just feels right. And I really hope I get to live in Boston proper eventually, though. It's only an hour north by train from Providence, so I might as well just commute. I mean, why, you know, bust a, bust a gut trying to uh, uh, strain myself to uh, just pay higher rent kind of thing. I don't know. We'll see what happens. I mean, everything's up in the air with COVID and everything else right. that's going on. But so my aunts uh, invited me. They said I could stay in their um, furnished uh, and finished uh, attic space that they have here that they've rented out to people in the past so I'll be this is pretty much uh, the base of operations it also sounds like the beginning of a mystery novel right (laughs) (laughs) or a Stephen King novel I, I went to go visit my two aunts in Providence and I was staying in an in an attic. It was fully furnished, but it also hid secrets which had been kept from the world for decades, nay, centuries. And the scenery is just beautiful too. There's abandoned insane asylums not too far away. Like a, it's a, it's a beautiful place. I didn't, I didn't know H.P. Lovecraft was from here. Yeah, yeah. And nothing says beauty. When I visited last October, I was just walking around and seeing a bunch of stuff about it. I was like, wow, people really like H.P. Lovecraft around here. And, and I stumbled upon his house. that had like a plaque on it. I was like, oh, shit. That, that explains that. And, and nothing says beautiful scenery like insane asylums. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> eroded barbed wire and all. <laughs> right. So, what, um, you know, how has COVID hit you? How has COVID hit your, you know, career and, and your, um, you know, obviously your plans have been changed. And um, how have you adapted to that? I know, obviously, you started doing some videos, which we featured here on quadcities.com. Um, what are some other plans and how has it ad- helped, to do, helped you adapt? Or maybe in many, in some ways, made you better by, you know, having to adapt? Well, I mean, I wish I was a lot more productive than I have been in this time, because uh, I, I haven't really. I, I've tried to come up with different things to do, and it just seems like derivative of every, every, 
concept that I write down and try to like expand on on a piece of paper just feels too derivative of other things. So I haven't quite found what will kind of keep me sane through these times. I might, I might right now I'm kicking around the idea of doing a John Stewart impression and doing some new stuff. But I don't know. I mean, it's just, there's so many people doing so many things that just has got to either commit to something or. I don't know. I, I'm still thinking. But my, uh, yeah, I, was, I was originally supposed to come out here in April, and so, I mean, that didn't happen. Uh, even though I, I, I bought my plane ticket last August, like, it, this was just a long time in the making, and uh, I, when I bought the ticket, my lease was also going up at uh, the apartment I had at the time, and so I moved into my mother's house so I could save money and just kind of prep for the eventual move and then that's when COVID hit and all that good stuff. And then it was pretty much just on lockdown because my household there was, it had three uh, vulnerable individuals between my mother and uh, her brother and uh, his wife, mm -hmm. you know, older people. So I, so I haven't been able to see anybody or do anything, even, if I could do it responsibly, I mean, I just, I just couldn't put them at risk. So I've just been, I just hunkered down there. And now that I'm out here, I'm pretty much hunkered down up here. But um, I'm hoping that the East is going to recover quickly, consider like more quickly than other places, just from the fact that they got hit first. Mm -hmm. That might be a naive way of thinking, but um, that's, I, that's what I guess what I'm banking on. What would if if you you know. Say say you're up in the attic and there's a secret compartment and there's a like some small vial and a genie pops out and says, "I'm going to grant you any wish. You can be successful in any way you want to. What would you want to do? What would ultimately what would your goal be to be successful and creatively fulfilled and to feel like, yeah, this is what I'm meant to do. This is what I want to do. Oh man. Oh, man, it's a big end. Okay. Uh, I, I'd, love to, I'd love to host some kind of a show. Like, a, I, I'd like, I, I would really love to, like, like a dream scenario would be I have to physically go to a studio and do a show five days a week. Mm -hmm. I think. Maybe that would get old after a while. I don't know. What, I mean, what, what I envision is, uh, what, what, I, what I feel like is attainable eventually, as long as I work hard, is maybe I can be a city comic that has a writing job somewhere, which is, I, I think, a humble enough ambition that I can achieve it. <laughs> <laughs> then you're hoping for that city to be Boston. That'd be nice. I mean, I, I really don't want to live in New York. I don't think I love Bo I love Boston. I, I love the size of it. Providence is nice too. New York is only a couple hours south by train. I guess. I mean, that's where the writing job would be. So I guess I would have to live there uh, eventually if that pans out to be such. But I don't know. So, um, any anything else that we have not talked about that you would like to talk about that you think is important, Andrew? That that we should 
hit upon in this conversation? Well, I, mean, I suppose uh, more so just for the folks listening at home is just the sense that, you know, keep making shit because uh, it, it's, it's so valuable, you know, whether for yourself or for whatever you're involved with. I mean, it, it's, it's such a good thing to make things and do things with good people and make good work that uh, it's uh, we, we, we all have to make our own fun because otherwise it's called entertainment cool Andrew thank you so much for being on the show and I, of course as always well, thank I, you Sean for inviting me <laughs> as always I wish you the best of luck man like I said I think you're um you're certainly a character, and you've got a distinct style to you, and I think that you're going to do very well once you, you know, get into um, that larger market. I think people are really going to click with what you're doing, and um, I think you're going to be very successful, and I wish you the best, as always. You're very kind, and I hope I don't ruin it by getting hit by a bus. <laughs> Fingers crossed, Andrew King does not get hit by a bus. Thank you once again, Andrew King, for being my guest today on QC Uncut, uncut, unedited, uncensored conversation. As always, my guest my guest today, again, was Andrew King, former Quad Cities comedian, now just moved to Providence, Rhode Island. Um, expect to see some big things, in my opinion. I think Andrew's a very talented guy, and he's got a distinct style that I have always, I have always enjoyed during his time in the Quad Cities, and I think that the folks out east are really going to like, it's really going to click with them. So expect to see some great things from Andrew King. And once again, thank you to you for listening to QC Uncut, uncut, unedited, uncensored conversation with local newsmakers. I'm Sean Leary. Thanks for checking it out, and have a great day.